So I knew like there's someone else out there. There are other people out there who like nerd out about this stuff in the same way that I do. And it was getting so much traction online to the point where I was like, this needs to be a party. That was Nadira Simmons, a writer, digital content creator, founder and EIC of the Gumbo Mass Media and Social Club. We chatted about how she went from a Jersey girl with a love for hip hop to founding the Gumbo, a platform dedicated to documenting and celebrating Black women in hip hop. I'm your host, Elise Ellis, and this is A Few Minutes, a podcast where I ask my favorite creatives and entrepreneurs my burning questions about their passions, inspirations, and how their careers came together. From Black DJs to designers, I hope the next uh, 30 minutes inspire your journey and leave you ready to flex your creative muscle. Now back to Nadira and I. Hey, Nadira. I'm so, so happy that you decided to come on the podcast. I've been a big fan of the gumbo for years now, and it's definitely one of my favorite digital brands, Instagram accounts. But I've always had the question, why the gumbo and where did the name come from? That is so funny because I really agonized over it. I kind of had the idea for years, to be honest. And it's so funny. It came to me one night in a dream. I was like, what is a word that like best reflects a bunch of different things coming together and making something really good? And I'm from Jersey. So like everyone, whenever they hear the name, I'm like, oh, are you from New Orleans? Like, no, I was just like, oh, I know gumbo is a dish that has mad stuff in it. And People love it. It's a really popular dish and it brings so many different things together. So I really just thought about, all right, I'm going to create this platform that's not necessarily strictly about women who rap, but also about the women who produce and the women who design clothes within our culture and the people who write about the music that's happening within our culture. So I thought of all of that and yeah, it literally came to me in a dream. So that's how we got the Gumbo Mass Media and Social Club, LLC. Thank you for that. And I love how you described, I would say, like the hip hop ecosystem. So we have artists, we have producers. And then I think they're still really important now. But 20 years ago, late 90s, early 2000s, hip hop journalism was such a big part of the hip hop ecosystem. What was your first introduction to hip hop journalism? And how do you remember that? I mean, I've always been like a really big fan of hip hop. I think anyone that, whether they follow the gumbo or follow me personally, know I get my music taste from my parents. They love hip hop. They love really like all music. So they just taught me and introduced me to so much. And I kind of entered into music journalism when I was in college. I started writing for this platform called Goodfellow Media. And I'm still friends with all the people who started that platform to this day. And you know, I was doing music journalism with them and going and covering shows and like interviewing artists. And I found it to be just a really good, like fun way to kind of explore my love for hip hop that I hadn't really thought about in that way before. What did you listen to growing up in Jersey? So I'm from D.C. and I know sometimes the DMV, Delaware, New York, Jersey can have somewhat similar music tastes, but I've never really talked to anyone specifically from Jersey about what they listened to growing up. So what would you describe that as? So very funny. So my dad is from Philly, raised in Jersey, and my mom is from Maryland. And I was actually born in Maryland. I was only there for like one or two years. I was going to end up in in Jersey no matter what, because that's where like a whole bunch of my family is. So 
the part of Jersey that I'm from is so close to Philadelphia. And because my dad is from there, a lot of my family members are from there. I grew up listening to, I mean, as I'm sure you might have seen on my social media, so much like state property, so much Philadelphia rap. I love Philadelphia soul. So a lot of music and a lot of sounds that are coming out of Philadelphia. So whether it's Beanie Siegel or the OJs or Phyllis Hyman or freeway. Like that's a lot of what I grew up listening to. I also love go-go though. And I feel like that's just like, you know, I get that from my mom, but there's something really particular about being from South Jersey and being so close to Philly. I can get to Philly in 15 minutes and just kind of having that proximity that really shaped a lot of, not just a lot of the hip hop that I love, but a lot of the soul music that I love. So I know that you studied journalism in college with a minor in African-American studies. What was some of the work or writing you did that kind of foreshadowed what you're doing with the gumbo? And how do you see that pipeline from being in college and then to creating this platform? I think when I had started college, I kind of had this idea that I wanted to be a news journalist. I wanted to be on camera and be a reporter. And after, you know, certain things happening, there was so much that happened over the four years that I was in school, but stuff that happened in the news, I just knew I couldn't talk about certain things and not have an opinion. And I like that with music, obviously you do have to be unbiased. You're like, hey, this song dropped, but it was fun to, you know, we had a, there was a podcast that was a part of that platform that I wrote for. So we would go literally in one of the Rutgers student centers, we would go into their radio station and debate live on air and then like put the audio out about like what music was coming out. And I just found that to be just so fun. And it was never a thing that I even thought I wanted to really monetize or really make this like a business or do something. But I just knew it was fun to be around people who were like-minded. It was also fun to be around Black people and even have Black women who were around me, you know, sharing their opinions. I also feel like sometimes, and I tell people this all the time, I, I knew the gumbo was necessary when I would like tweet certain music opinions and men would be like, oh, you know, trying to quiz you or trying to see if you really knew what you were talking about. So I kind of felt it then. And then as far as my research, you know, again, to that point of being from South Jersey and loving the music that comes out of Philadelphia and even sometimes feeling like it's not often talked about, you know, the impact that the rappers and the sound of Philadelphia really had on the entire music landscape. I was so invested in literally just like researching all these like random things and like going on like the Library of Congress website and like looking at like old photos, taking an Afro-musicology class and like understanding the history of how jazz and the blues have influenced like hip hop today. I was just so interested in everything kind of just around it. And I think music plays such a big role in in Black history and especially Black American history, Black history, period. So I just knew like, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And I was like, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to read every book that I can. I have access to all these archives and like libraries. I'm getting discounts to like go to certain things. So anything that if it popped into my head, I would go research it, go learn about it, take a class on it. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of me just saying like, oh, I like this. So I'm going to go to the library today and literally sit there and read about something for maybe an hour or two in between a class. I find it funny that you talked about being a journalism major and realizing, to be frank, that this shit is really depressing and overwhelming. I was also a journalism major, and I definitely felt that way. I also think that's how I found my way into culture journalism, criticism, and podcasting, was wanting to think deeper about a lot of things that I care about, but not wanting to report on stories about police brutality or gentrification 
while also having to process that these things are going on in the world. What would you say was the turning point for you? And you talked about when you would tweet and seeing responses to your tweets, whether negative or positive, what was the turning point where you saw that women's voices in hip hop are necessary? And of course they are, but I guess at one point did you realize, okay, the gumbo needs to be a venture? I mean, I'm a TV girl. I work in the TV industry and TV is my dream and that's my career path. But I graduated from Rutgers and I had a bunch of friends who worked in, you know, music or in music journalism or wanted to get into that space. And just seeing people being offered, quote unquote, offered positions with like low or no pay or seeing my friends or even just seeing people tweet about like, hey, I'm doing work for free just so I can get my clips up in the hopes that I can enter into this space and make it a career. So I don't know. I just really felt like why not one, make a space where I can meet like-minded people and we can talk about the music that we love and what's happening in the industry and not have to worry about a bunch of people like chiming in, maybe on the timeline or in your mentions or in your DM. So that was the moment it clicked for me. And then also feeling like, okay, why not, you know, for a while I saved up, I think for a year, year and a half, saved up all of my checks from work because I was like, hey, I want to also have Black women get paid. And I'm hearing from my friends and I'm seeing online, like people are doing work for free and I don't believe that people should do work for free. So it it kind of clicked in and I I really sat on it for a little bit because I was very nervous. I was like, nobody's going to like this. They're going to think that this is like, a bad idea or, you know, it's not necessary. Also, there's already so many other music journalism platforms. So I really had a lot of like, a lot of time to think about it and also get myself out of that space of like self-doubt and just be like, yo, like just do it and we'll see how it goes. Since Nadira founded The Gumbo in 2018, they've amassed over 15,000 followers across social platforms, interviewed hip-hop heavy hitters like author and former Vibe editor-in-chief Danielle Smith, and partnered with and received a $25,000 grant from American Express. With major success in just under five years, it seems like Simmons knew The Gumbo would be a hit. Describe to me the initial reaction to The Gumbo. How did people receive it? And then how did that I hope it was love, then carry you forward. Oh my God. In the back of my mind, I feel like when you have an idea, like, especially me, like I know. So I kind of knew like people are going to, you know, like this. So when I put out the call for pitches, I think in August of 2018, when I put out the call for pitches, I got like hundreds of retweets and everyone's like, this is so exciting. And then seeing like the Twitter followers and the Instagram followers go up and just seeing the anticipation. It was amazing. It was honestly crazy. And that's when I knew like, all right, we're good. You know, I wanted to create a space that wasn't just like, hey, so-and-so dropped a song. So like, I need someone to write about the song dropping. Because I'm very much like, we don't got to be reporting on every single thing that happens every day. If someone drops a song, we can just retweet it or put it in our stories. They probably already followed that artist anyway. I don't want us to try to be another news platform or another hip hop journalism platform that's operating in the same way that people already have on lock. But if someone has an opinion about a music video or an artist that we don't talk about enough or the connection between blues and hip hop, which we have on our site, or the connections between Muslim women and rapping. There's so many different connections that like even sometimes I can't think of when we get pitches. That's what I really want the site to be. I wanted it to be an archive and a place where people could come in and learn. And that's when it really clicked. When I got that response, I was like, all right, people are looking for something new and they're excited about about this. So I knew it would work. 
Tell me a bit about being an editor-in-chief and how you approach that. But also, if you could explain what the pitch process is like. I know the gumbo puts out a topic at the top of the month and then people submit their pitches. But if you could go a little bit into depth about that. Yes. Well, thankfully, I have my girl, Brooklyn, who helps with editing the pieces and kind of like going through stuff together. The first thing is, has this been done anywhere? Has anyone ever written something similar? That's always the first thing I try to think of. And I just always want the stuff on the site to be something that you can't really get or find anywhere else. Not because it couldn't work anywhere else, but because we're going to do it or talk about it in a way that like people know, oh, like I'm sure that was on the gumbo. So I think for me, just being editor in chief is, you know, obviously following editing guidelines and making sure that we're following the different style books, but also just making sure whatever people are pitching and we're putting up is you know, something that you can't really get anywhere else. And also I had the idea to do the themes because I didn't, again, I didn't want everything to be tied to what was happening currently, not because you know it's not important or it wasn't possible, but people have people on staff who have news breaks. Someone's going to write something up and it'll already, it'll be out there in the world. Why do we have to write the same thing that someone's probably already fruitfully covered or everyone can just dialogue about on Twitter? I wanted it to be something you know, where people can sit and research and go and watch old YouTube clips or find old party flyers. I wanted it to be stuff like that. And I felt like that was just really, really important. And then as far as an editor-in-chief, it's really maintaining the standard of, hey, this is something that you might not find anywhere else. And it lives in the place of history because now if someone's thinking about a specific artist or a music video or a song and they don't know about a person or they never heard of that music, that artist or that song or that video, I want that person, whether it's tomorrow or five or 10 years from now to say, hey, like, let me go look on the gumbo site and see if they have something on them. Because I want it to be really a place where people can come and learn. So that's kind of how I think as, as far as editor in chief. What do you enjoy about working with other women who have a love for hip hop? Oh my God, it's the best because it's really turned into a business, which is so crazy. Even when people like, oh, how's your business? I don't even, I think of it now as a business, but for so for so long, it was just like this fun thing, I, I guess, that I felt like I was doing on the side. It just makes me feel, I don't know, it's so fun because you get to just talk. Sometimes you'll debate. Sometimes you'll banter. Sometimes you'll learn. Like, I think that's that's the most rewarding part is getting to talk to people who are like-minded. But then also, if you are like, no, I felt like this was hot. And someone was like, no, I don't think it was. And just having kind of like that connection is so fun. And even getting to meet people in person when we do our events in person is is so so amazing. So I think it's just kind of like that sisterhood and camaraderie. And I think even when you see you know, the stories that we put up or the women in rap that we talk about, sisterhood is so important. It's important to have like-minded people so you can feel safe and also feel comfortable to speak and know that your experiences are shared. So I think, yeah, that underlying sisterhood is really what makes it so fun. I like how you mentioned debate. And going back to your earlier point about sometimes when women, whether on Twitter, whether a talk show or even in articles that they write, they get challenged on their hip hop opinions and expertise. How do you think the gumbo combats this? And I don't want to say legitimizes their opinions because, of course, they are legitimate, but kind of solidifies us in saying we actually don't need to prove 
how much we know about music or how much we know about Jay-Z deep cuts. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is just being clear about who we are and what our mission is. So it's a platform formed by Black women who love hip hop. And I think never wavering on that. We've never, never had anyone come in and, you know, been disagreeable in our mentions or in our comments or sent us nasty stuff. I think And that's not to say it couldn't happen, but just being firm and this is who we are. This is what this platform stands for. This is what we represent and this is what we do. And we're not wavering on that. We're not going to let you come in and really talk crazy or be dismissive or do a lot of the stuff that often happens when women speak in particularly Black women. I think that's why we've, knock on wood, I don't even got no wood around me, but I think that's why we've been able to kind of escape that is we just remain firm in it. So pivoting from, I would say, the editorial side to the digital and social media side, I love the Gumbo's Instagram. I think it's very aesthetically pleasing. And I'm curious as to how you crafted that aesthetic, but also what attracts you to the platform in terms of keeping such a strong and consistent presence on it. Yes. Well, shout out to Quinn. She's our DJ. She's a creative director and she does, you know, a lot of our graphics. And I think before her, which was you know, the first two and a half years of the gumbo, I knew we were kind of in a space where like everyone, I just wanted the Instagram to be very clean. I wanted the socials to be clean. And I also thought about, okay, you know, social media is also the job that I do in my day to day time. So I'm like, what, what do I like to consume on social media? What do different audiences like to see if someone is following a music account, what is the stuff that they're retweeting and what is the stuff that they're not really engaging with? How can you, you know, if we're posting an article, how can we share it in a way that makes someone want to click on it versus just reading, you know, the quote that we've excerpted and, you know, keeping it moving. So I think it's just really trying to always think about the consumer, checking our analytics, seeing, okay, where are people based and make sure we're posting stuff that the majority of our audience is interested in, but also what are the posts that do really, really well? If our Instagram grid looks super crazy and the colors are all over the place, is that going to make someone want to unfollow us? Or is that, you know, what can we do to make sure it's visually appealing? So someone wants to be on our feed every day. I think about that stuff really all the time, actually. And Everyone could tell you that sometimes I agonize over it because I'm like, dang, like I should have waited to post that on Thursday. So then this could have looked like this. But I'm just always thinking about what people really gravitate towards on social media. And also, if something, you know, doesn't work, then pivoting and trying to do something in a different way or just saying, you know what, we're not going to do that no more. So I think about it a lot, though. (laughs) I think one of my favorite social franchises that you guys do is Sample Sunday. I love anything that prompts music discovery and... What some people may not know is that Sample Sunday is also an event. Social franchise and an in-person event with a DJ are two completely different things. How did you take this digital product and turn it into a physical thing? And was that always the plan for the gumbo? The crazy thing is I initially wanted the gumbo to be an in-person and online social club with the articles to supplement it. And, you know, we had a few sample Sundays before COVID really hit. And we actually had a few events that we had lined up that we ended up not doing because of the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. I think it's so important to connect online and also to connect in person. And to the point of me, I love soul music. I love hip hop. I love, you know, a lot of the music that comes out of Philadelphia. And there are a lot of artists who sampled artists who maybe are 20, 30, 40 years older than them. So I always kind of grew up like 
knowing a sample kind of immediately, which is very crazy because that's the stuff we would listen to. Like my grandfather used to listen to Jay-Z and then two seconds later, he would like play the Jay-Z sample. Not intentionally, it's just the music that we love. So I knew like there's someone else out there. There are other people out there who like nerd out about this stuff in the same way that I do. And it was getting so much traction online to the point where I was like, this needs to be a party. And even before Quinn was a part of the team, she's also from the same town that I'm from. I had talked to her about like, yo, would you, would you want to DJ an event where we just blend these samples? Because I think one of the things that I love seeing at Sample Sunday is when people like pull out their phone to Shazam something, or if they run up and like, what was that? Like, what's the name of this? What's this song? What did she just play? What's what, you know, what artist is that? Where are they from? That is so fulfilling and rewarding to me. Cause again, it's like that, not just the sisterhood, but just like we're all family and we're all learning and enjoying something together. And the people get to turn up too, because we're playing a song that is from the sixties or seventies. And then we're playing the hip hop song that someone, you know, used that sample for and not everybody's lit. So I just kind of had a feeling that people would enjoy hearing those sounds. And I wanted to do something just a little different, you know, as far as just dedicating, you know, our time to really blending all of that stuff together and making it our social series and then also making it a party series together. What is one of your favorite samples in hip hop? Oh, my God. Why well, I have a feeling this question was coming? Uh, oh, my God. Let me look. See, now you got to I got to think because I have so many and there are so many that come to my head. <laughs> I have a lot of little Kim ones that I like. Dang, this is crazy. Can I name two? Yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. Okay. <sighs> this is so... Imaginary Playmates, I love. Actually, no, I don't really want to do that one. It's funny, that one's really popular on TikTok right now. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, my God. Because <sighs> I'm trying to think of one that's, like, not the most popular. Um, Hold on, I'm about to play it and make sure I'm thinking of the right one. I have a whole playlist. Okay, so, wait, this doesn't even look like it's labeled right. Yes, it is. Okay. So I think his name is pronounced, it's Dexter Wansel, but it's New Beginning. And that's a sample for Money, Power, Respect. I think that that is amazing. I also, I tweeted about the other day. I don't know if it's my favorite of all time. It's my current favorite, but there is a song from Paul McCartney's group Wings. And what is the name of that, John? Oh, Lord. I cannot even remember the name of it, but it's used on Erica Badu's Gone Baby Gone Don't Be Long, which is like arrow through me. It's like, I think Mad Lib did that beat. And it's, such, I love when a sample is just such like a, just such a crazy flip. Cause I think it's easy to maybe like chipmunk something. And I don't make music. So I, let me not even say, I think it's easy. It's cool to hear when something is like chipmunk and you're like, oh, like I recognize that. But I love when I don't recognize it like off rip and I have to like play something like, over and over and over again and be like, oh, like they slowed that down or they like flipped it or they only took this part and they kept repeating it. So I feel like that's like my current favorite, but I love all of Lil' Kim samples. There are so many. I love all the Hove samples. I didn't want to say Hove because he's like my go-to and everyone's gonna be like, all right, here we go again with The Rock. We get it. So yeah, but I love Hove has some of the best and that's a credit to all the people he's worked with, but 
just some of the best soul sampling and some of the best flips like of all time, in my opinion. I think Madlib is also really good at it. And Currency, everyone he works with. Oh God, that's another one. I love Spitta too. And he has so many, dang, he has so many samples that I love too. Wow, that's tough. You got me because I have so many and I would literally sit here and now my like brain is like, dang, you forgot this one. But yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. So in this next bit, I'm definitely gassing Nadira super hard, but it's warranted. She's a must follow on Instagram. Of course, follow the gumbo. But if you want color, personality, good fits, music history, check out H-I-N-A-D-I-R-A-H on Instagram. And once you do, I think you'll have an even better understanding of why the gumbo is a successful digital brand. So pivoting a little more to you, you're a writer, digital creator, and dare I say it, girl, I am so curious as to who your inspirations are. Oh, my God. Um, I feel like everyone knows I love Issa Rae. Issa Rae is just such a big influence for me. I think she's amazing and really kind of a testament to, you know, really, really putting, you know, the time in and also creating opportunities for the people around her. I love seeing Insecure every week, but I also love seeing like this week so-and-so is directing or this week this person wrote the script. Like, I think that's so amazing. Now she has people who used to work on her show creating their own shows under her company. So she's someone who's a big inspiration for me. I feel like everyone knows I love Toni Morrison. She's probably my biggest influence and if not the biggest and definitely one of them because she always spoke about just creating from a place of, you know, I can't remember the quote exactly, but she talks about creating to kind of amplify and support her world and the world she exists in and not really to convince others that it's valid. And I think that's one of the things that I try to do with the gumbo or any work that I do is just like, we're going to tell the story and we're not going to tell the story to try to convince you that it's a valid story. We're going to tell the story because it's important for it to be told. She was so ahead of her time. And I think she was so amazing in the way she spoke and the way that she wrote and just also speaking to being authentic, not only to you, but, you know, to your people and where you come from and not feeling like you got to convince people that what you're doing is valid. And sometimes we exist in a world where people feel like they have to be convinced and we feel like we have to convince others. But I think it's so good to just create from a place of, I feel like this is necessary and important, so I'm going to just do it. So those are probably two of my, my biggest inspirations for sure. Where do you see the gumbo going over the next four to five years? Well, I definitely want us to create a lot of video content. I would love for us to expand into just getting into television production and documentary productions. That's like a big, big goal on on my list. There are a few other things that I feel like, you know, I really want us to do, but I also don't want to like, I'm nervous. Sometimes I get nervous. I'm gonna jinx something if I like say it too soon. But I feel like the TV thing is we've got, you know, we've done a podcast and we've done, you know, all the written stuff and we have events and I want us to do more events. I don't know, covid COVID cases are, are popping up and getting a little crazy, but I really want us to have those in real life events and have the digital dinners that we've done be in person. It's like someone can sit down. We just did a virtual one with April Walker. It'd be amazing if, you know, everyone could sit in person and sit in a space and have someone who's an icon sitting across and we're just like chopping it up at the dinner table. So I really want to get those in person when it's safe. I'm still like a little, I'm a little nervous. I don't want nobody to 
to pull up to a dinner and be like, I caught COVID there. So I'm apprehensive about that. But I really want us to get into I want us to get into TV and, you know, and documentary filmmaking because I feel like there's, you know, such a market for it, especially now. And I TV is my other love, which, which I feel like everyone knows. It's like I I love music and hip hop so much. And I also love television and film just the same. And I really want to merge those two together. That's really like my dream. So that's five years from now. I would love if we had like two documentaries under our belt or two shows or if we were just already in the process of working on them. That would be amazing. You mentioned April Walker and you guys also interviewed writer, journalists, author Danielle Smith for a video series. I'm curious as to how Black women who've been in the industry have responded to the gumbo, recognizing them, writing about them, or even writing for the gumbo. It's crazy because they say such kind words. And in my head, I feel like we are which I'm, I'm getting out of because I got people around me like, no imposter syndrome, girl. Like what? Yeah, it's nice to see them be excited about the platform and say, this is amazing and keep killing it. We're so excited to do this. So happy to be a part of it. I think that for me, like when I get those little emails or notes or like, I see that in like my Instagram story, I'm like, dang, like, this is crazy. Like I look up to y'all. Those are other women. And, you know, I didn't even mention them just now. Now I'm like, dang, those are other women I look up to who are amazing and to the point of, you know, the commitment to their craft and the words and the way that they've not only contributed to the culture, but just, you know, really showed me, you can really create and do whatever you want to, and people are going to love it and gravitate towards it because it's coming from such a beautiful place. Yeah. It actually, like, it makes me, even right now, I'm like getting tongue tied over it because it's crazy. I'm like, yo, like y'all are the goats. Like I'm just here to just support. Crazy hypothetical here, but let's say the aliens came down and they asked you for three albums from women in hip hop. What are you giving them to put on? Oh, man, 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 man. I have to give them the miseducation of Lauryn Hill because that is, that's just history. Like there's no way she broke all of, all of those records, won all of those albums, won all of those awards, um, and you just don't give that to the aliens. So I'm definitely giving them that. It's a masterful piece of work. And I love Lauren. Definitely have to give them hardcore. You have to. You have to give them Lil' Kim's hardcore because, come on, like Kim, Kim is a, she is a goat to me. We talk about her so much. We talk about her contributions. But like that woman really shaped so much when it came to the lyrics that she was using and the space that she was creating, what she was doing in fashion. Like, oh my God, she's she's amazing. A third one, OMG. You really are getting me with these questions because this is uh, three albums. Mm-hmm. I feel like I want to go with another Jersey album, but then I don't want to be like super, you know, I don't want to be super biased. I feel like I might go with Eve. I would maybe give them Scorpion. Because I think she won the Grammy. She won the Grammy for Let Me Blow Your Mind for that. And I, I'm i not saying that because of my Philly bias. Well, maybe I am. But I think Eve is someone who, even Queen Latifah, I might also pick a, a Queen Latifah album too, just because that's why I was like, I don't want to just be like super Jersey bias and super South Jersey bias. But those are two other women who I feel like, especially for someone like me who loves hip hop and who loves television, 
really entered into a space that wasn't really tapped into. They both had their own shows and they're in movies. And I think to also release these amazing albums and to still create music at a time where they're at their peak in one lane and then also at their peak in another. I think those are, you know, good examples and like testaments to that. So I probably go with with something from both of them for sure. Who excites you now? What are you listening to from women in rap? And who do you think is, I don't want to say leading the torch. I feel like that's super corny, but is really piquing your interest and you want to see more from them. I mean, Cardi B always excites me just for the sheer fact that like she was on that freaking, what is that cartoon? She like was made a song for that cartoon and then was on a drill record like the next week. Like that is, that's exciting for me to see. And I think especially when sometimes, which I love that, you know, we have the gum before is sometimes people will try to make it seem like someone can only operate or exist within one lane or they can only talk about one thing or they can only rap about one thing or they can only look a certain way or, you know, participate in certain parts of the culture. So I love seeing her really exemplify like, yo, that's not true. And there, she's not the only one, but she's someone who I just always get like really, really excited about. I get super excited about Flo Millie and Dochi. I really love seeing especially Black women who look like me rap because it's just so important, not only for, you know, it's important to have that representation. It's great that we have women in there, but I think it's also doubly important to have to have women who who look like me operating within that space. Obviously, I get super excited for Meg. I love Plan B. I love the Jodeci sample. That's another one that I really love right now because I thought that, that was so fire. Oh my God. Oh, there's so many. See, this is the thing. I really do. I get excited for everyone and that's not like me trying to, like cop out. But I think something that, you know, I love now, and I know social media can be a detriment in some in some ways, but it could also be amazing in others. I love seeing all like the rap girls give us behind the scenes, like at their video shoots, like they, they make me excited for what they have dropping. You know, they make you, they kind of bring you into their space in a way where, you know, we're not getting behind the scenes of music videos like we did when we were growing up. So I think they're all very good at like, you know, teasing a song or teasing a video or taking us, you know, into their day-to-day life and, you know, really showing us like, oh, I'm in rehearsal or, hey, today I'm going to a fitting. What y'all think about these nails? How what, I'm going to do my wig this color. Like, I really do get excited for a number of reasons when it comes to women in rap, really like just sharing or teasing their music with us. I definitely feel you about there being so many women in rap that it's just exciting to see the sheer volume of options. I think 10 years ago, if you asked someone, who's your favorite female rapper, they would lean really heavily on Nicki Minaj or someone from the 90s. We love Nicki, we love Kim, we love Queen Latifah, no shade to them. But today, the amount of women in rap and what they're doing is super diversified. And like you said, I'm a dark-skinned woman. Seeing other dark-skinned women rappers embrace their sexuality and really be the it girls, the popular rappers. That's really cool. And I'm excited for the future. Love it. Love it. So I have one final question for you and it's super corny. I'm so sorry. But when did you fall in love with hip hop? Hip hop, hip hop. Um, definitely. And I already got my answer ready. Probably in the back of my dad's Nissan Altima. I was three 
and I was rapping Imaginary Players by Hope. That's what I was going to say is my favorite sample earlier, but I feel like I always say it, but it's Imaginary Playmates by Renee and Angela. That's like a, woo, that's, but I say it all the time. So I was like, let me not do this again. Let me try to switch it up. But that's like my earliest memory of hip hop. That's the first song I knew like, word for word at the age I really think I was like two or three and that's my honestly earliest childhood memory is sitting in the back of his red car riding around and having every hove bar like verbatim as a baby a few minutes podcast was created by me your host and producer Elise Ellis our sound designer is Eric Aaron and shout out to Aaron Monaghan for our music if you have a few minutes Follow us on social at A Few Minutes Pod and share this episode with a friend. Thank you all for listening and we'll be back.